thank you for this time, Lord, where we can just get into your word and as the song just as the song just reminded us that to meditate on it, Lord, that we may be changed. Lord, we came here to change, not to just do some religious exercise, Lord. We pray this all the time, but it's true, Lord. We come here to meet you, to be changed, to go deeper, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the Psalms I shared this morning, so much a part of my own testimony. I began reading the Psalms as a young Christian, just started off on Psalm 1 and did a psalm a day, got to Psalm 150, went back to Psalm 1 and just so rich. And really, honestly, when I became a Christian, I just thought, boy, who would ever go there to the Psalms? And they just, come on, they must be old, sort of dry poetry, like a dull prayer book sort of deal. Well, they're anything but dull. And, you know, Jesus said uh, to the Samaritan woman that the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and truth. And if you want to be a worshiper and you have that honest desire, my advice to you, is really, really, really get into these psalms. Really get into them. Study them. It has been said that uh, for uh, the, the, the book of psalms here, it covers the entire spectrum of human emotions. For every sigh, there's a psalm. For every shout of joy, there's a psalm. For every gut-wrenching experience, there's a psalm. I mean, I, there's, there are Psalms, Psalm 38, Psalm 88, Psalm 148, perfectly tailored, rather Psalm 143, uh, perfectly tailored to uh, someone who is just in the most awful, terrible, afflicting trial uh, in their life. Psalm 55 is another one. Yet there's other ones that are just all about sort of shouting for joy in the book in Hebrew. It's called the Book of Praises. And it's, again, a study book. And so when, you know, you'll read in the psalm, clap your hands, you're supposed to clap your hands. If it says stand in awe, stand in awe. It says bow down before him. Be prostrate before the Lord. If it says shout for joy, let it rip. So it's a, 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 a study in worship. It has been called the hymn book, not only because it is a book of songs, it's a, another translation of the word really is songs, but also because it's about him. Jesus is the subject of so many psalms. Are you coming to, to help me out here? All right. Monica? All right. So in the New Testament, 216 Old Testament uh, quotations. It's quoted... The Old Testament is throughout the New Testament, including many times, of course, by Jesus himself. Each time the devil tempted him, he started, it is written. He quoted from the Old Testament. But 119, that is over half of those 216 quotations, are from the book of Psalms. It has been said that uh, the Psalms actually give more detail about Jesus' life than the Gospels themselves. The Gospel tells us that Jesus went to the mountain to pray. The Psalms tell us what he prayed. The the Gospels tell us that he went to the cross, but the Psalms tell us what he was thinking 
on the cross. I think of Psalm 22. This is Jesus on the cross. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. That's a description of uh, someone on the cross. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. And so the Gospels tell us he was on the cross. The Psalms tell us what he was thinking on the cross. The Gospels tell us he went back to heaven. We'll read in the Psalms what he was is doing in heaven. And so deep, deep, deep book. David wrote 73 Psalms, possibly 30 more. Moses read, uh, wrote one, Hezekiah uh, 10, sons of Korah, 11, Asaph, 10, and then He-Man wrote one. Remember He-Man, the, uh, the worship director uh, under, I think he was under, he was it David or Solomon or Hezekiah, I can't remember, but um, the Psalms begin in Psalm 1 with a word on happiness, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. That's how, remember, Jesus started his public ministry. Remember on the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those. It's the very first beatitude in, in uh, Matthew chapter 5. And, you know, it should be noted that, uh, I should say for the biblical record, for the record of the biblical record, God does want you to be happy. Now, from time to time, people justify their unbiblical behavior by saying that God wants them to be happy. So that's what they're doing. What they're doing, for example, from time to time, someone will be getting a divorce and they won't have a biblical justification for their divorce. The Bible says there are two biblical justifications for filing a divorce. One is adultery. The other is if you have an unbelieving spouse uh, leaving you. And uh, from time to time, some will be getting a divorce. They don't, neither of those are happening. And you, why are you getting divorced? And they'll say, well, God wants me to be happy. Now, many times you'll hear a, a preacher say, nowhere does it say that in the Bible. Nowhere does it say that God wants you to be happy. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it says that throughout the entire Bible. Blessed, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. However, God never wants you to be happy at the expense of disobeying or obeying his word. At the expense of obeying his word. He never, uh, uh, and, and, uh, and also, um, it's just a, a reality that in order to be happy, we need to go through seasons of affliction in which we are not. There's chastening. And the Bible says no one likes chastening the discipline of God when it's happening, but it's meant for our blessing. Now, you know, my own kids, I get uh, very bummed out uh, when they are not happy. If they uh, are not enjoying their school or they, uh, I remember a couple years ago, uh, Sam being a quarterback lost um, a couple of games at least. Um, but uh, anyway, <laughs> their team is going to be better next year. Uh, and, you know, I'm just really bummed out. I remember one of those games, he they, they, they were going to win. They got right up to the one-yard line with 10 seconds left, and they tried to get in, and they couldn't. He was bummed. I was bummed <laughs> because he was unhappy. Well, Jesus says this, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven? If I want to see my kids happy, how much more does our Father in heaven... Uh, want want us to be happy. Um, now it is true that happiness, the word that's used for happiness is kind of shallow from a biblical standpoint. Joy is in some, you know, in some ways a much better term 
because happiness, people say, well, it has to do more with your happenings around you. Uh, but God wants us to be happy, though he recognizes there are seasons, necessary seasons of, of sorrow. And the first psalm begins, happy or blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. And so notice how it starts here with something that you're supposed to avoid in order to be happy. If you want to be happy, avoid the counsel of the ungodly. You know, you probably have heard this, but when I was a young Christian in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a study that came out about people who went into depression, who visited psych, uh, psychologists, and according to the study, 68% of the people recovered who went to a psychologist, they recovered. If they went to a psychiatrist who had an MD degree, they had a 74% of recovery. If they did nothing, there was a 79% chance of recovery. So your chances of recovery were better if you did not go to a psychiatrist or psychologist. Now, the reason for that is so much of what a psychologist and a psychiatrist dishes out nowadays is ungodly. Now, that doesn't mean that they're giving advice which we normally would think of as wicked, but they give out just worldly, carnal kind of advice. You know, there's a lot of advice that you can get, which is not, you know, it's, it's not like someone telling you to molest a kid somewhere, but it's nevertheless ungodly. I think of how many people's careers now are dedicated to advising people on retirement. The whole concept of, re- of retirement to me is specious, meaning it's just suspect to me. Retirement. You know, save up your treasure for retirement and you will be uh, canoeing across a serene lake with your wife, you know. That's what these, all these commercials. And, or walking on a beach somewhere. And therefore, make sure and just have a really big nest egg. I hate that word, nest egg. I hate it. Who came up with that word? The golden nest egg or whatever. You know, the Bible says that we should slow slow down or change jobs, but the whole notion of retirement, I don't get it. So God just wants us to waste the last 20, 30 years of our life taking cruises around the world? No, he wants us to serve the Lord. But anyway, I'm on a, a, whatever, what do you call it? A soapbox right now. A lot of, a lot of, it says, do not walk. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. What a tragedy. How many people in their retirement, five years into it, I'm not happy. You mean, this is what I've been saving up for? Yeah, you took ungodly advice. You know, that's what happens. Then it goes, it goes on to say, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And so you see a downward progression here. First, what do you do? You, you, you walk in the counsel of the godly, ungodly. You're listening to that counsel. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, you're walking in the counsel of the ungodly. And then it's, you stop and like, wow, you know. That's interesting. And so you start standing in the path of sinners. In other words, it's almost like you're already walking in wet cement, but then you stand in it and you get stuck in it, nor stand uh, in the path of sinners. And then the lowest point of the progression is nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And that's, you know a downward progression that you really, really do see. Um, where people, they start off okay, 
but they begin taking counsel from the world. Uh, then pretty soon they're just standing in, you know, what they believe, uh, their, their ungodly beliefs, and then all of a sudden they're mocking. That is scary. That is really, really scary. If that is not enough to convince you to be careful what comes into your heart and into your mind, you know, I don't know what is. Verse 3, he shall be like, um, rather verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and, he, and in his law he meditates day and night. The happy man meditates. Uh, notice how it says he meditates in the law. Not that he's under the law. Romans 6.14 says you're no longer under the law. You're under grace. But he meditates in the law. Now, discuss this this morning. Meditation. Uh, the word, think regurgitation. I didn't say this morning, but that, uh, just to get, since, you know, Sunday evening, I guess it's R-rated. Uh, Sunday mornings, G, but... Uh, and but so meditate is the word for regurgitation, rather for chewing the cud, you know, the cow, and they they chew it up and then they barf it out, and then you know they chew gobble it back up and they chew it again, and and this you know goes on and on until they get every bit of nutrition out of that slimy grass that they're chewing on, and meditation is the same thing, and, and you say well. Meditate day and night on the law of the Lord? That's for monks or something. I don't know how to do that. And I've said this many times. Yes, you do. Yes, you absolutely do. I mean, when's the last time uh, some crisis was in your life? Uh, you know, I, I don't know what happened. You're, uh, uh, you found out that, you know, you owed someone a thousand dollars that you thought you had paid back or something and you don't have the money and if you don't pay it, I don't know, your rent's going to, it's your landlord and your rent's going to, uh, you're going to be evicted or whatever. What happens? What do you do from morning to evening? You're thinking about every little angle about this issue. In other words, you're meditating on your problem and that's what it is. You meditate uh, on the on the law of the Lord, and and that's why. By the way, you know I I love Christian music because uh, music just gets into your soul. You know, put your alarm clock or whatever to Christian music, and you know you'll be meditating on what oftentimes on what you heard that first thing in the morning. You know, I will delight in the law of the Lord. I will meditate day and night and that will just you'll be chewing on that uh throughout the day and this morning that's why devotion times are just so incredibly important uh, important uh, this morning i was in uh leviticus and just this very simple verse about the day of atonement it says in leviticus sixteen thirty, for on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins. And it says, it is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you and you shall afflict your souls. Meaning on that day, you need to rest and just consider just what a ruin your life is and your soul is because of your sin, apart from God's covering of your sin, apart from the righteousness of Christ, and just being able to chew on that um, all day. You know, Robert Rogers was here a few weeks ago. I don't know if you guys were blessed by him. I got to tell you, I was. That was just fabulous, that guy. And we'd love to get him back in this area. You know, he was, if you weren't here, he was uh, the gentleman who was traveling one day in Kansas with his wife and four kids, was overtaken by a flood. His wife and four kids all perished, and he lived, and now he's just serving the Lord, and there's just a joy there. But 
One of the things that he has learned about his recovery, the Lord has recovered, uh, you know, he's very much recovered and thriving in spite of that unfathomable tragedy, is, I don't know if you remember this, is just memorizing scripture. (laughs) Just memorizing it. And I just encourage you to memorize it. And I just took from him, by the way, and this motivated me to start memorizing scripture again. I used to memorize scripture like a madman when I was first saved. And, um, and so I become a madman again. And I'm trying to memorize uh, the first 17 verses of Colossians. And I think I'm there, by the way. And, and it's just, it's one of the great things about it. It's just, it really becomes a part of you when you've memorized uh, scripture uh, like that. And I think of sexual purity and the importance of memorizing Scripture. In the book of Philippians, it says, whatever is uh, true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there's any virtue, any pr- anything praiseworthy, think upon those things. Well, Scripture, <laughs> start with that. Scripture, think upon that. And um, it will just transform you. Blessed is the man, the woman, who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. And then it says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in, uh, in, in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Meaning, even in the desert times, even in the times of famine, you will see this, uh, uh, this man of God or this woman of God with uh, flourishing in their life because they have planted their, uh, their roots deep into the word of God. It's just a principle of life. As you meditate and you get to know the, God, uh, the gospel and the word of God. Verse 4, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chafe which the wind drives away. You know the picture of chafe, right? They're uh, threshing wheat and you throw up the wheat in the air. I'm probably getting some of this wrong. But the, you know, the good stuff comes down, the grain, but the bad stuff, the wind blows away. If you are... In the word of God, you're not blown away. You, you come right back down, a, a grain of wheat, into the, to the hands of, of the Lord. Jesus said, no one will snatch you out of his hand. Verse 5, therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. There will be no sinners in heaven. No sinners in heaven. Heaven will be that good. <laughs> Heaven is that wonderful. There's no sinners there who have not, uh, who have not repented and, and turned to the Lord and have put on the, the, the garments um, of, of Christ. And so uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm 1 finishes, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Psalm 2, we know from Acts 4, David wrote this psalm. Why do the nations rage? Uh, there's a, by the way, there's songs to so many of these. Um, we, we sing a song to Psalm 1. There's a, Handel has a psalm to, uh, song to Psalm 2, and right now Sam is hoping I don't sing it. Why do the day? It starts off like that. Um, <laughs> and anyway, uh, my kids actually, uh, actually, actually uh, love that um, that uh, piece from Handel. But Handel has this he has this wonderful what is it called operatic piece to Psalm two. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The world has what's called a visceral reaction to the name and person of Jesus Christ, a rage, an intense hatred for him. You can discuss any subject and any religious subject virtually, freely, 
not going to rustle any f uh, feathers until you introduce often the name of Jesus. Then all of a sudden, everyone gets often gets bent out of shape. I remember um, my friend Tony and I, as a young Christian, we went we're going door to door, and we went into this guy's home, and and we were giving him a. A, a gospel presentation real similar to what Guillermo is doing on Saturday night with some of you folks. And, and there are about five parts to uh, this gospel presentation. You start off with what, what sin is, who man is, who God is, what faith is. And it ends with who, towards the end, is who Jesus is. And I'm th we're talking to this guy and I remember thinking to myself, this is just the sweetest guy. He just has the sweetest, gentle disposition. Every once in a while, he'd say something, and wow, he was just so sweet. When we got to the end of the presentation, and which was talking, I think we were quoting from John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was uh, with God, and the Word was God. This man started screaming at the top of his voice with us. He's, uh, he's, he, he stood up, demanded that we get out of his place, and he pushed me out of his house physically. I was walking out of his house. He came up behind my back and pushed me. And I was like, wow, I've been persecuted for Jesus' name. Um, and so it was uh, seriously, and my friend Tony was, though, he was freaking out. Um, uh, but... Why do, the, the verse says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Why are they so mad uh, at, at the Lord, at Christianity? Verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. They're, they're, they're devising schemes to just bring down Christianity. You know, there is just a host of, um, of, of, of men, of so-called scholars now, who are literally seem to be working together to bring Christianity down. There's a whole bunch of books. One's called The God Delusion. The other's called... Uh, a letter to America. What's that guy's name? Samuel. No, that's a different one. Uh, Dawkins wrote the God delusion. Then there's a guy, David Dennison, uh, Liz, uh, close to here, and and they're just plotting together. And and, and again, I, I think of Voltaire. And they're basically saying the same things Voltaire said 300 years ago. He said Christianity is going to be dead within 100 years. 100 years later, in Voltaire's house, they, uh, there was a Bible society who had bought it and was distributing Bibles. I mean, they, they plot together in vainly. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The answer is in verse 3. Why... why such a negative reaction. This is them talking, the people who, um, who are plotting, who have such a reaction um, against Christ, against Christianity. This is them speaking in verse 3. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. In other words, the reason that they are so incensed and furiated because they're convinced that if, you know, they submit to this God, this God is going to put chains around them, bands around them, ropes around them, and constrain them. They want to be able to choose whatever they want to choose. They want to be able to live uh, whatever way they want to live. They don't want salt Jesus says, with the salt of the earth. They don't want salt around them. And so what they're saying in verse 3, let's cast away this salt. Let's get away these bands. That way we can um, live any way they want. You know, I think of evolution and the unbelievably obvious problems from a scientific standpoint of this theory. I mean, it, it, it's just 
mind-boggling that an intelligent human being can lay hold of this theory. Why is it that people are embracing it? Well, it's a way of casting off the bonds of God, of casting away any, the cords, verse 3, that, that God, you know, uh, is, is supposedly putting around people. It's, 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 you know, there was one guy who was talking with, um, he was a pro-evolution guy, and he was talking to a guy who was basically arguing against the theory of evolution, and he says, you know, I understand your arguments, but you know something? We have hormones on our side. Wow. We have hormones on our side. What is he saying? He's saying the young people, they want to go out, they want to have sex with whoever they want. This theory allows them to do that. Because even... Evolutionary philosophers have said, yes, if it's true, there's no God, there's no basis of wrong or right, and, and, and there's not really no even free will. We're all just sort of going into this direction um, that we really can't help. Um, but there is this, this the, the, the nations, there is an element of our society that's just raging, raging against Christianity and the Lord. You know, we experienced a little bit of it today. Uh, here's some of our, um, here's some of our uh, material, our witnessing material that we put outside. And we also put a couple, a uh, bunch of flyers from the Women's Concern, uh, the, um, the Crisis Pregnancy Center out there. And someone came along and wrote down here, are you a Christian? says, Christianity is a fraud. Christ was not a Christian. You know, they're writing this on here. Uh, pregnant, real answers for your questions. Right-wing propaganda. Some people have a real, real issue. They have a real issue with any, any notion that they may be accountable to a God. They want to cast off the bonds. Uh, and, um, man, I, 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 you know, we're in this society. And... By the way, the solution to all this is not to curse the world. Oh, the world is so evil and wicked. No, that's just cursing the darkness. We're going to get to just in a little bit. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not the person who wrote that. Our enemy, the Ephesians 6, is the principalities and the powers of the air. It's not against flesh and blood. And so how wonderful, though, that... Um, that uh, of the God that we uh, that we worship um, is really in control of all things. It says in verse four, "He who sits in the heavens shall laugh; the lo- the Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep dis- displeasure." And so, not that he is. Not that he's laughing here in verse 4, mocking them, but, you know, if little Anna, you know, little Anna, Scott and Amy's uh, uh, daughter, if she came up to me and said, Pastor Steve, I'm going to bash your brains in, you know? <laughs> See, what are you doing right now? You're laughing. And, and, and yet the, 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 the kings of the earth are setting up themselves, or these people, the David Dennisons and the Dawkins and these guys, they're setting up themselves and they're coming against the living God saying they're going to destroy him. And it's like, wow, that's just a joke. It's just so ridiculous. And, you know, that's the, that's the point that is, is, is being uh, made here. Verse 6 says, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. This is Jesus speaking, actually. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. We just actually read this in Hebrews a few weeks back. Ask of me and I will give the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessels. The enemies of God uh, will be defeated will be defeated. Now, 
you know, you say, well, this isn't really a nice thing to do, verse 9. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Well, you know, the Bible teaches that when man reaches a certain level um, where their hearts are so incredibly calloused that they're so far gone, a judgment awaits them. That's what the Bible calls, Jesus calls, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Just resisting God, rejecting God, rejecting God, spending a life resisting his Holy Spirit. The Bible says he's drawing all men to, his, to him. He, they're resisting, resisting, resisting. There is judgment eventually. The Bible says that he will not let the guilty go unpunished. And I always like the analogy if a rabid dog uh, were to go into a school and uh, a teacher, you know, saw the dog, wouldn't it be ridiculous for someone uh, to say if that teacher uh, pulled out a shotgun and pointed it towards the rabid dog, oh, don't hurt that dog, oh, he's such a cute little puppy. You know, h- how ridiculous would that be? No, the teacher's perfectly justified in shooting and killing the dog. Why? Because in a sense, that dog is damned. In other words, it's, it's reached the point of no return. It's, it's, it's diseased, it's dead. It's, and, and to allow it to live may infect the children in the school and lead to their destruction. And it's the same exact principle. You see this in the Old Testament, but it's no different today. Uh, That there reaches a point where God does say, verse 9, you shall break them with the rod of iron, you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. You know, I think of, of Sodom and Gomorrah when the two angels... Uh, went into that city. It said, but they went into the house, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, it says, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house and they called to Lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we may know them carnally so we can have sex with them. That's everyone in the city. Yeah, and, and so that was an, and of course, you know that, that Sodom was destroyed by the Lord. There comes a time where there is a righteous judgment. And so the Bible says there is a judgment to come. And, and you know, when Jesus comes a second time, there will be a judgment. And verse 10, now therefore be wise, O king. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Psalm 3, also a psalm of David, also put to a song. I'll spare you singing the song. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. By the way, I have a little note next to that. Satan's lie. Number one lie of Satan that he will afflict you with. There's no help for you in God. God's not going to get you out of this. You think God's going to get you out of this? Verse 2, many are they who say to me, there is no help for him in God. And wonderful thing about the Psalms, David is just, he's basically in a prayer closet somewhere and someone's writing down the words and he's thinking, oh, this is what I'm hearing over and over again, that God's not going to help me. How often that you and I have been there. Verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill. 
I lay down and slept and I awoke for the Lord sustained me. And sleeping is a hard thing when the world is tumbling down around you, but there is a sleep for the man and, or, or woman of God, a deep sleep for them where they're not being crushed by the worries of the world. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me all around. And so this speaks of a godly confidence that is can be yours and it can be mine in Christ. Verse 7, arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. So again, speaking of the righteous judgment of God that we uh, should never forget that he's righteous and he does judge. Verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Verse 4, I mean, Psalm 4 says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. So what is the basis that David is coming to the Lord? Is it his righteousness? No. He says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness, meaning God's his righteousness. No one will ever go before the Lord based upon their own good works, their own righteousness. If they're not cloaked in the righteousness of Christ, they will be consumed. And we saw that early on in the Old Testament by, the, by God's a consuming fire. And we can't just go before him with all our sin and with all uh, the, the sin of our life. We need the righteousness of Christ. And... David was no different. He says, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? But know that the Lord has set apart uh, for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. And that says, verse 4, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Now this verse 4 here is quoted in Ephesians. Be angry and do not sin. There is an anger that is a righteous anger. It's, a, it's, a, it's an anger, I think, of the abortion issue. It's, it's, it's an anger, not on the, necessarily the people performing the abortions, but the sin that is just devastating women and men around this country by scourge, in the world by, by leaving scourges of guilt on them, uh, teaching them that a baby is just fetal tissue uh, rather than a human being. And there's a righteous anger. Now, many people quote this, I believe, completely wrongly. You know, be angry and do not sin. They say, well, I was righteously angry at the bank teller who was basically refused to service me, even though it was five minutes of five o'clock. She said it was, oh, time to close. And I was angry at her because she was doing something that was basically ripping me off and not serving me well. No, when it has to do with your rights, and your feelings, that anger is not righteous anger. That's sin. <laughs> and the Bible says that, uh, that um, uh, you know, in that situation, actually the women are going through this on Tuesday night. Stephanie was telling me in the book of James, uh, it says that you're supposed to, with your mouth, not curse, but bless. Someone says, well, give me, give me an example of that. And Stephanie basically said that this type of thing. When someone treats you in a completely unreasonable way, uh, you know, bless them. So she shared that, you know, we had put some stuff out front and there was a bunch of dirt and leaves all sort of sitting on the sidewalk and one of the neighbors uh, called up cursing her. Get that stuff out or it's going to clog up the drain in the street. She had a few four-letter words in there as well. And she said, you know, okay. We'll go right down there and I'll pick it up. She blessed her. 
So be angry and do not sin. But by the same token, don't be calling your unrighteous, sinful anger righteousness. Anyway, verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart. God wants you to be happy more than in the season that, that their grain and wine increase. Uh, speaking of, you know, the festivals they had with, with bread and wine, there's a greater gladness that God wants to put in your heart. I will both lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalm 5, and we'll close with this, this. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditations. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my God and my King, for to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. So this, speaking again of the importance of a morning time with the Lord, you say, well, I'm not a morning person. That's glorious. God has something he wants to change in you. Uh, I, I, I must say that I, you know, as a young Christian, I had for actually a number of years, I had my, um, my devotions at night, and it was a wonderful time of growing with him. But I, I, I did eventually was able to, to change to the morning, and just, the, the, just the, being able to start your day exposing your heart to the word of God before your heart has been exposed to all the other stuff is just a wonderful thing. And it's been said that every, if you just look at history, every man and woman of God who's been used mightily spoke of a wonderful devotion time and had the witness of a wonderful devotion time. And it says here, I will direct it to you. So I, my voice you shall hear in the morning, verse 3. In the morning I will direct it to you. And I will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of mercy. In fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. This is a very important one, brothers and sisters. Again, verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of your enemies, of my enemies, rather. Now, what am I saying there? Well, he's saying, God, keep me on a righteous path because if I go to the right or go to the left, Satan or my enemies are going to pick me off. So important. Psalm 25 has a verse, uh, great verse on this as well. That, you know, Lord, just help me to go straight on a path of righteousness to you. Because if I go to the right or to the left, the enemy is going to pick me off. And, oh, that is the case. That, um, you know, Satan will just use our sin and he'll try to, a little gap there, a little hole, he'll try to drive a Mack truck uh, through it. Verse 8, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Why? Because of my enemies. Because my enemies will pick me off if I go the unrighteous path. Verse 9. For there is no faithfulness in their mouths. Their inward part is destruction. We talked about that this morning. All outward bad behaviors because of something wrong in the inside. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. Verse 11, but let all those who rejoice, who put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you, for you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. You will make happy the righteous with favor. 
you will surround him as with a shield. With favor, you will surround him as with a shield. You know, favor is something that I'm praying now for a number of folks in the church. We've had about 10 people laid off in the last uh, couple of months from their jobs. Some of the people are the sole providers of their family. And uh, just been real blessed and encouraged by these people because their eyes are really on the Lord. But one of the prayers I have for them is that God would give them favor with prospective employees. This word favor here is used a lot uh, in the Old Testament. Just having favor, divine favor, supernatural favor. You know, you just walk into uh, some uh, interview and the person interviewing is like, wow, I just love this guy. I don't have the slightest reason understanding why, but I just love him. Well, it's because divine favor. And so that's what uh, we're praying. Actually, we'd like to pray that uh, this evening uh, in our prayer time this evening. Okay, so that is uh, Psalm 5. We'll close there uh, this evening. Uh, Before I close in prayer, we will be praying this evening. in about 10 or 15 minutes, if you'd like to gather with us to, uh, to pray, uh, please do. I lost my prayer. Greg, do you have an extra? Where's Greg? There he is. Greg to the rescue. Oh, whoa. Is this it? Oh, thank you. All right. So tonight we will be praying for a woman's concern. As you saw just from this, man, we've now had, we've officially been vandalized here. Um, but as you saw from, from this, you can just imagine if we got this, what they have when they are out on Commonwealth Avenue right across from a Planned Parenthood, okay, the, the, the warfare that they're under. Let's pray for tonight for a woman's concern. If you can't stay with us, please just remember Every time, actually, you see that baby bottle, pray for them. Also, we are going out on Saturday nights. And with the evangelism class, please, uh, please pray for that. Please pray for the uh, orphanage in Haiti, Calvary Christian family. Pastor Serge, is, uh, he was sick, but he's uh, healed and he's healing, actually. And he's, going, he's actually back in Port-au-Prince now. Also pray for our blessed and precious children at the Alice Hayward Taylor Housing Development. This precious sheep over there who were teaching the word of God. Let's pray for them uh, this evening. So if you can, please stay. If not, God bless you. We'll see you next week. Let's uh, close in prayer, though. Father, we just thank you for just the fullness of your word, and we pray as we go through the Psalms, Lord Jesus, that we would learn so much more of you, and that we would become worshipers through through studying uh, this word, Lord. We want to be worshipers. We want to worship you in spirit, and we want to worship you in truth. Father, I pray for safe passage back home for everyone this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, God bless you. You are dismissed.